Aren't you ready for the king to come? Let's give him praise, shall we? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Magnify him together. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Touch your neighbor and say, the king is coming. I want to be ready. Scripture tells us to watch. Be vigilant. Be looking. And as long as we're enamored with the things of this world, we're going to miss the time of our visitation. I want my eyes to be looking for him. Amen. Clap your hands one more time. Amen. What a weekend we had in the Lord. That missions conference. So challenging in the Holy Ghost. I believe God's bringing us somewhere. Falls upon me tonight to follow that conference, so you got me. <clears throat> but let me let me say this, just because it's eating me up and I want to get it out, and I know word will spread fast, even if everybody's not here. And, and I realize that some people may or may still be praying over their faith promise. But I told you when several years back that I wrote down what I felt like the Lord showed me our church would give to missions. Three numbers. Now keep in mind, I don't, all types of offerings. We have Mother's Memorial offering, She's for Christ offering, Christmas for Christ offering. If I came up here and got offerings every time we needed an offering, we'd be offered out. So we use this and all of it is missions. All of it goes to missions. So, so I, I just, you're a given church. I'm not just going to get up here and hammer you all the time to take up an offering. And uh, unless I absolutely feel it's the Lord prompting me to do so. So we use our missions account to fund all offerings as well as giving to PIMs. We support several thousand a month in, in, in PIMs. But those numbers were 100,000. $300,000, $500,000 to missions. And last year, $180,000 to missions. That's remarkable. If everything comes in that was pledged, which I have reason to believe it wouldn't, over $375,000. And a third of that came in on, on Sunday night already. Come on, somebody. I feel the witness of the Holy Ghost. 300000 We got it done. What's next, Pastor? 500000 I see a debt-free building. I started tearing up when I found that number, when I saw that number. Because of your sacrifice and your giving, 
God's going to open up the windows of heaven. You just get, you just get your pen and paper ready to start writing down testimonies. Miracles, financial miracles. It's not because of one person, it's because of everybody. Amen, amen. I texted our speakers and told them and they were blown away, began to call me and uh, just felt such a witness of the Holy Ghost over the whole weekend. The whole weekend was ordained of God. Thank you for being in attendance I realize that you you may not have been able to make all the services, and I would encourage you to take advantage of our app and watch it online. Uh, also, you can listen to it online because those messages were life-changing messages. It was the greatest message on giving that I'd ever heard Sunday night. The problem is I can't preach it here. You already heard it. Those other guys, they're going to preach it back home properly. But I can't preach it. But God did what God wanted to do. I don't know how long I'll preach tonight. I got 16 pages of notes. And I got a whole lot of preaching me. We're just going to figure out where we're going. John 15, verse number 1. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. How is the Father glorified? He tells us how. That ye bear much, somebody say much, fruit. What brings God glory? Not saving people. Not filling people with the Holy Ghost. That doesn't bring God glory. He said, I get glory when those that I am connected to bear fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. You're not saved to sit on a church pew. You're not saved to give him the offering. You're, you're, you're not saved to go through the motions of religion. You're saved so that you can produce fruit 
And the only way that you can produce fruit is to be connected to the vine. Period. So tonight I want to preach by the help of the Holy Ghost from this thought called to be connected. Called to be connected. Father, we love you. We need that touch of the Holy Ghost. I feel you, Lord, so strong in this place. Just lingering presence of God that's abiding here. I pray, God, that you would take every thought right now into captivity by the power of your name. God, you're trying to transfer something tonight, and we need to hear it. We need to receive it. We need to apply it. In Jesus' name, we give you glory. Can we clap our hands and give God praise right now? Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. When we begin tonight to examine and try to gain understanding of the call of God, we've got to go back to what Scripture or what what studying Scripture calls the law of first mentioned. And the call of God is You don't have to read the word of God very long to find it. Because in Genesis chapter number one and verse number five, we find scripture telling us God called the light day and the darkness he called. Somebody say called. He called night. That's verse five. Three verses later in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 8, and God called the firmament heaven. Two verses later, verse number 10, and God called the dry land earth. Three times in the first 10 verses of Scripture, we see God calling something. In essence, when God called something, it responded to the call by becoming what it was destined to be. You don't find earth responding to the call and saying, I don't want to be earth. I want to be this. You don't see the night offering a rebuttal to God saying, I don't want to be that. I want to do this. When God called something, it became what he destined it to be. Jumping to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 19, we find God giving Adam, he did not Adam, he created Adam, and then God later would call Adam. But in Genesis 2.19, we find God giving Adam the same authority that he possessed. In verse 19, and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. 
the same authority that God used to call earth, earth, and to call night, night, and to call day, day. He said, I'm going to give that authority to Adam. And so God formed a cow. God didn't call it a cow. God formed it out of the ground and then said, all right, I want to see what he's going to say this is going to be. And God brought that beast to Adam and Adam, the Bible says, called every living creature. And what he called it, that's what it became. God did not call any animal. He did not call any fowl of the air. He created it. And then it became what Adam called it. And God said, so shall it be. It responded to the call. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. In other words, the cow could not help Adam. The fowl could not help Adam. The beast could not help Adam. There was nothing there that could help Adam. Adam. So God said, I need to find him a helpmeet. And God put him to sleep and took a rib. And God formed the woman out of the man. And then God exercised, or Adam exercised the same authority that God did. And he called her woman. He did not call her Eve. He called her woman. And in Genesis 2, 23, Adam labeled her as woman because she was taken out of man. The next time we read in scripture, if you follow the line down, the word called is mentioned again in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 9. When God called unto Adam and he said, where art thou? Y'all with me? You're going to miss it if you don't pay attention. Every time God had ever called Adam, he was always what God intended him to be. But this time, when God called Adam, Adam did not respond to the call. Adam was not what God intended him to be this time. And this is the point when the call changed to the chosen. Keep in mind that Adam had never deviated from what he was created to be. In Genesis 5 and 1, the Bible says in the day that God created man, singular, not men, man, how did he create them? In the likeness of God, 
made he him. All right. You got to, somebody needs to take your invisible hat off. This fix to blow your mind. I know it will. Male and female. Plural. Two. Created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. Because in God's eyes, both of them were one. They were both Adam. Singular. Put it up there. Genesis 5 and 2. Because they're looking at me like I'm lying to them. I know I'm not. But y'all are looking at me like I am. Go to verse 1. Male. That's verse 2. There we are. In the day that God created man, singular, God made man, him, in his likeness. In other words, God called man. For those of you that are wondering what Adam means, here we go. It's Hebrew for dirt. Adam means dirt in Hebrew. Because they were formed from here we go. That's deep. Singular. Verse 2. Male and female, plural. Created he them. Because both of them pulled from God's nature. God is a spirit. He's not a man. He was a man in the form of Jesus Christ. But God put them together and called them their name. Adam. So we go to the garden and he says, Adam, where art thou? He wasn't calling just Adam, the man. He was looking for what he created that he had connected with. And when he called them, they weren't the same that they had always been. It was the first time that God called them that they weren't in his likeness. And God's going, hold up. I've never encountered this before. We don't know how long time had transpired it could have been a hundred years. Could have been five days. We don't know. But it was the time where God called and man chose not to respond. Right? Where were they? Hiding. They made a conscious decision. They chose not to respond to God. They chose not to fellowship with God. 
Anytime God called them to commune, they were always what God intended them to be, just like the earth and just like the heavens. But this time, God encountered something different. When they when he called, they chose not to respond. You see, the call is what established their identity. The call established their connection. The call set in motion what they were supposed to be. Yet now the call had been compromised and they chose not to respond to the call. Thus the plight of humanity had shifted. And I pose this question to you tonight. What caused the shift? What was the reason for the downfall? What came between the creature and the creator? Simply put, Fruit did. Fruit. Fruit changed the connection. We can sit here and talk all day about what kind of fruit it was. Everybody says it might have been an apple. I don't know. I don't care. But we know it wasn't a vegetable. Why? Vegetables don't grow on trees. Right, Brother Frank Bass? Okay, I thought for a second there I misspoke. Thank the Lord. He can correct me later. I was always taught fruit grows down and vegetables grow up. Right? Some of y'all never heard that. Is that wrong? Fruit grows down, vegetables grow up. I don't know if that's the Holy Ghost or not, but it's what I've always been taught. If I'm wrong, correct me later. I, don't, I like fruit roll-ups, okay? You ain't got to worry about up or down. Only thing you got to do is roll them up and stick them in your mouth. That's all the fruit you need in a day. One fruit roll-up. I don't mess with that fruit by the foot business. It's got seeds in it. I got to get back over here. They were called... Oh, roll-up sounds good right now. They were called, not strawberry, to be connected to him. But fruit forced them to be disconnected. Y'all stay with me now. Fruit. They pursued fruit, and it cost them their relationship with God. They pursued something that they were never designed to pursue. They were designed and called to be connected to him. To walk in harmony with him. And they got distracted. I want to draw a parallel. Adam was connected to God. That connection would benefit his life continually. He would prosper in every area. Yet Adam, I'm saying Adam and Adam, because I'm talking about Adam and Eve. Eve did not become Eve until the curse came and then Adam changed because they lost their identity and they became separate. Adam, which means Adam and Eve, man and woman, chose to pursue produce instead of connection. And because, watch this, 
It's a play on words. He felt the need for produce or to produce. He lost perpetual production because he lost continual connection. I am the vine. I am the source of life. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. The call of God is still going out. But now we must choose to respond to the call. And when we respond, we become connected to the vine. And that connection, if it's continued, will produce fruit. But if we start pursuing production instead of connection, then we will live a life of discouragement. I rise on this Wednesday night to tell this great church that nothing will ever replace relationship with God. Nothing will ever take the place of a true connection with God. We need him more than we've ever needed him before. We need him every day. We need him on Wednesday, but we need him on Thursday. We need him on Friday. It's connection. We got to be connected. Somebody say connected. Every day, more and more people are getting discouraged. Anybody ever been discouraged? Everybody. I'm not talking about just a little upset because you got cold fries at McDonald's. You always get cold fries at Sonic, so you should just know that that's not going to happen. Okay? I'm talking about real, deep discouragement. Where it lasts more than a day, you just wake up discouraged. You go to bed discouraged. Discouragement sets in. When what we experience is different from what we expected. Amen. Everybody clap your hands as loud as you can right now. I'm going to say that again. Discouragement sets in. When what we experience is is different from what we expected. Anybody ever? Let's lift our hands to the Lord right now. Lord, we need you. Help us tonight in this place, God. Jesus' name. When the job isn't what you thought, or the family isn't behaving like you want, when when church people, y'all better pray. 
If I go into a leopard spell, it's over. When church people mistreat you or your finances aren't what you want them to be, I'm talking about discouragement. Discouragement can do one of two things. It'll either drive you away from God or it'll draw you closer to God. You got a decision to make when you get discouraged. Either I'm going to run from God or I'm going to find that refuge for my soul. I'm going to go to that place when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than myself. I'm telling somebody tonight, you can't choose what happens to you, but you can choose how you respond to that situation. I'm going to run to God. I'm going to run to God. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. The more, listen to me, the more disconnected we are from Jesus, the more dependent we become on ourselves. And the more we depend on ourselves, the more we fear failure. And that fear surfaces as anger. When you start getting fearful because you can't fix it. When you start getting fearful because you can't turn it around. When you start getting fearful, then that fear leads to frustration. And frustration leads to anger. And then it ripples throughout your whole life. And you're angry at home. And you're angry at the job. And you're angry at church. Because you've gotten disconnected from him. And you're trying to do it by yourself. And God never intended for you to carry the load. Because he said without me, you can do nothing. On your best day, you can't fix your situation. On your best day, you can't solve your own problems. We need him more than we've ever needed him before. We gotta be connected. We gotta be connected to him. When we try to do things on our own, we're limited by our own strengths and weaknesses. And fear sets in because we know we are limited. But when we're connected, we don't measure the task that's before us against our own ability. We measure it against his ability. And our faith begins to soar because we know that all things are possible through him. And no mountain is too tall. No river is too wide because we're connected. If you're overwhelmed tonight, I'm challenging you to, to, to assess your connection. Are you getting disconnected? And the more disconnected you get, the more overwhelmed you get, and the more frustrated you get, and the more frustrated you get, the harder you work to fix it. And when it doesn't work out, you get more frustrated, and you live in a perpetual cycle of frustration that God never intended for his people to live in. And it could all be fixed if you was connected. Anybody ever been in a situation that just overwhelmed you and you had a good old-fashioned prayer meeting and you walked out of there and your situation was exactly the same as it was before you went to prayer? Your situation didn't change one bit. You know what happened? 
you got connected. And when you got connected, your faith began to soar because you realized that God's going to take care of that situation. But when you're not connected, you get fearful. Oh, man, how's this going to work out? Oh, God, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so you start working and you start laboring and you get fearful because you know your resources are limited. We can get so busy trying to do for God that we stop walking with God. Busyness is the enemy of connection. All right, now listen to me, business owners. Busyness. I own my own busyness. Sounds a whole lot the same, huh? Because if you're not careful, your business will interfere with your connection. Busyness. I've told you an acronym for busy, being under Satan's yoke, because if he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. There's people that are good people that are not going to make it to heaven. They did everything right, morally, but they were too busy. They were too busy. I hope y'all brought a snicker. We're going to be here a while tonight. We value production because it can be measured. We can see it. I built that. I did that. I accomplished that. It's tangible. But you can't see connection. And so we struggle because it's not tangible. We're wired visually. Look at Luke chapter 10. Put it up there, please. Verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary which which also sat at Jesus' feet. And heard his word. But Martha, excuse me, verse 40. Martha was cumbered about much serving, doing. Here she is. She comes to Jesus. Now, Lord, don't you care my sister has left? She left me all alone doing all the work. Go tell her to help me. She was mad. She was focusing, Brother Spanky, on production, doing, accomplishing. And there was somebody else that said, I just want to be connected to him. I'm fine sitting right here at his feet, listening to his words. Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful 
and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Martha, you got it wrong, Martha. There's always going to be a dish to wash. There's always going to be a house to clean. There's always going to be something to do around the church. There's always going to be something that you can focus on to do with your hands, Martha. But I'm not going to be here, Martha, all the time. Mary's chosen the better thing. Well, she'd rather be connected to me. And that's the only thing that's needful. Let me tell you something. We got to get our eyes off of always trying to do stuff instead of being focused on being connected with him. Because it's connection that matters. Yes, the kingdom of God needs doers. But not at the expense of losing connection with him. Instead of focusing on production, Jesus prioritizes connection. When he spoke to his disciples, he knew that if they would focus on staying connected with him, then production would come. But if they pursued production at the expense of connection, then it wouldn't matter how hard they worked. It's connection. Touch your neighbor and say connection. Now listen. God does not withhold relationship from us until we produce so much fruit to earn it. That's not how God operates. That new convert that comes to that altar gets the Holy Ghost for the first time, baptized in Jesus' name. They haven't done one thing yet for God. And God's walks in relationship. When they walk away, God's walking in relationship with them. They haven't done anything. Not one thing. But God gives them the same relationship that he gives somebody else who's been in, in church all their life. Same relationship. We, we got to get over this mentality where we got to earn God's love. Where we've got to earn God's relationship. Or we got to do this or this or that. God loves you. When Jesus come up out of that water and that dove came down, the Spirit said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He hadn't done one miracle. He didn't do anything. And God said, I'm pleased with him and I love him. So we got we, this mentality that if I mess up, God loves me less. If I do good, God loves me more. That's false. That's a lie. God loves you with an everlasting love. It's not the absence of God's love that's going to send you to heaven. It's the presence of evil in your life that's going to send you to, heaven, uh, to hell. Hallelujah. Connection. Is difficult to measure. But we've been taught to do things that can be measured. Anybody remember in Sunday school, those charts on the wall? I don't even know if they still have them. You get a sticker if you bring your Bible. You get a sticker if you bring a friend. Et cetera, et cetera. What are they doing? They're measuring production. 
See it. Make good grades. I remember years ago, I was a teenager. We had a, uh, a Sunday school drive. Y'all remember those Sunday school drives? They'd, uh, let's see who can bring the most visitors in six weeks or eight weeks, whatever it was. <clears throat> the grand prize was a CD player that you could put on your hip. The headphones. No skip. Like it wouldn't skip either. Those of you know what I'm talking about. I brought one visitor. And I won the Walkman. One. We're, we're, we're wired to produce. And... We tell our kids, now if you'll be good in this store, don't embarrass me. I'll get you a prize. What are we doing? We're trying to give them incentive to do what's right. And then we'll reward them for doing what's right. At the job, we're wired to produce. You got to do this, meet your goals, accomplish this. Everything is about production. And so our, our minds are wired to see our progress. Therefore, we shift from connection to production because we can appease our minds by seeing the result of what we have done. But hear me, burnout happens when production replaces connection. It's out of order. God never intended for people to produce without being connected. And when you try to produce without walking in relationship with him, you'll get burnt out. Because you cannot. This is what Paul said. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect in the flesh? You, you can't live for God in the flesh. The pull of production over connection always feels like you're being responsible. Let me explain it. Anybody ever go to prayer and all of a sudden you can think of 15 things that you're supposed to do yesterday so that you get up and you start trying to knock things out because that's the responsible thing to do. Is to do what you're supposed to do. Answer those emails. Go do this. Go do that. You're trying to produce. And you're allowing production to replace connection. You must never let the urgent replace the important. There's always going to be something urgent. Every day there's something going to come up in your mind. I need to do that. I need to. And if you're not, if you're always chasing the urgent. Your urgent, the urgent things will replace the important things in your life. Your consecration to God, your prayer, your Bible reading, your connection. There's never going to be a day when you don't have something to do. You will die having a list of stuff to do. And if you're so focused on the list instead of the Lord, You'll die lost because you're not connected to him. 
production is temporary. But connection is eternal. And we're living in a day where people are connected in every way possible on their device. But they're lonelier than they've ever been. Lonelier. I read a study by a professor at MIT, author of a book. She spent the last 15 years studying how our plugged in lives have changed who we are. Her claim is that all of our technological devices, and I quote, have produced a world in which we're always communicating but seldom have real conversations. She describes social media as taking little sips and thinking we're getting plenty to drink, while in reality we're dehydrated. She explains that social media offers the illusion of companionship without the demands of relationship. And she reminds us that social media offers also the illusion of connection without the demands of commitment. And connection without commitment leaves us feeling lonelier than we've ever been. Think about that. We're living in a day when people don't want to have conversations. Because conversations take work. And commitment. Think about this. We're in a day now when communication is based upon what's convenient for me. If Brother Spanky's in a conversation after church, just making something up, he's talking to somebody. I can see. He's in a meeting. He's talking to somebody. And so I'm not just going to go up there, spin him around, start telling him what I have to say. That would be inconvenient for him. I would be disrupting his life. But because we can't see the people, we don't mind pulling our phone out and texting when it's convenient for us regardless of what that person's doing. And then we get upset if they don't respond right away, not knowing what's going on in their world. Because now we're living in a day when our communication is based off what's convenient for me. Because social media and the virtual world is not a real world. I had somebody one time in a group chat send a Christmas card at 2 in the morning. And that thing went to dinging. Now, who does that? That's ignorant. It was nobody here from another state. It's a preacher from another state. That just proves that we have a total disregard for other people's worlds. And we only want to communicate when it's convenient for us. And if we allow that mindset to trickle to the church, then we will only talk to God when it's convenient for us. Let me, can I pastor, can I pastor just for a moment? During the, revi the revival last f six months, there was a huge push in consecration. 
and people coming to the church and praying. All times of the night and day. And I, I realize there were people up here that never even signed the sheet. I get it. I understand that. I'm thankful for it. But now it's waning. And it's the same three or four people up here signing the sheet. Because it's not convenient. It's not convenient. But you know what? We don't mind doing stuff that the flesh wants to do. You will always find a time to do what your flesh wants to do. Always, always, always. You will find a time to do what your flesh wants to do. And if you're trying to just fit God in when you have time, you'll never have time for God. I'm encouraging you. I'm asking you. I've asked every way I know how. I put as much sugar as I know how. I've been as bold and as rough as I know how to do. I do not know any other way to ask. Please, provoke yourself to come by this church and pray. I would love to say seven days a week, but I'm, I'm to the point where I'm fixing to throw $100 bills to get you up here one time a week. Don't do what your flesh wants to do. If we're going to be the revival church, that was a joke, by the way, about $100 bills, okay? It'd more be like dollar bills. I'm just wanting people to get connected to God. I'm wanting you to assess yourself and say, am I connected like I need to be? Or am I more connected to the world? Am I more connected to the flesh? And if I'm more connected to the flesh, then I need to get things where they need to be with God. It wouldn't hurt me to go by that church for 10 minutes and pray. It wouldn't hurt me just to yield just a time to God and, and just stay connected to him. One of the saddest verses in Scripture in Acts 24, 25 is when Paul's talking to Felix. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled. That was conviction. God was stirring his heart. And he said, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I'll call for thee. Paul, I'm not saying that what you're telling me is not true. And I realize I need what you're telling me. But it's not convenient for me right now. To be connected to him is going to cost me some things, Paul. I'm not ready to give up what God's asking me to do. And you will never find another time in Scripture where Felix calls for Paul because it's never convenient for the flesh to be connected to him. He says, every branch in me as you stand with me. Musicians, you can come. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Jesus walked up to that tree. There was no fruit on it. He cursed it. 
dried up. But he says, if I see somebody producing fruit like they're supposed to, because I love them, I'll prune them. I'll cut some things out of their life. We don't like being pruned. Because prune brings pain. <clears throat> God will cut people out of your life because He wants you to produce more fruit. And I'm going to say this the danger of social media. is when people pull back into their lives what God's cut out. Some people are only in our lives for seasons. That's it. You tell me right now. Don't misinterpret what I'm going to say. You know where I stand. I preach principle not products. The principle, I will set no ungodly thing or evil thing before my eyes. If you live by the principle, it will affect every product you put before your eyes, every device, right? The principle is applicable anywhere in the world regardless of what you look at. It's the principle. But you tell me which has destroyed more marriages. A TV or the internet. Because internet produced social media. And social media gave people the ability to reconnect with people that God pulled, took out of their life. And they bring it back in. Now listen. Before you walk out of here and think I'm contradicting what's been preached from this pulpit, I'm not. If God compelled you to get rid of a device, you obey the Holy Ghost. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, social media has destroyed more people's lives and caused more problems in a church than anything else ever has in the world. God has pruned some people. Maybe, it, maybe the reason you lost that job was because God was trying to cut some stuff out of your life that didn't need to be there. Maybe the reason that friend stopped talking to you was because God knew that they're limiting your fruit production and I got to get them out of your way. Now watch this. I'm not a horticulturist. can't even spell it. But I know that you don't just prune 
things any time of the year you want and you get a wild hair. There are seasons that if you'll do it when it's supposed to be done, by the time that year rolls around next time, it'll be prettier than it's ever been. It'll be more productive than it's ever been. It's based upon seasons. And nobody is going to be feel like they're producing when God's doing the pruning. You're going to feel pain. You're going to have questions. You're going to have misunderstandings. But you just keep living for God. And when the season changes, you're going to be more beautiful than you've ever been. You're going to be more productive than you've ever been. But it's only going to happen if you stay connected to the vine. If you try to disconnect, you're going to lose the source of life. You're going to wither up. You're going to die. Pruning feels painful, but pruning is not punishment. Pruning is an extension of God's love as He refines you. God prunes us for our ultimate good and His ultimate glory. Because I said it at the beginning, how is God glorified when we produce fruit? He's not glorified when we're not producing. I wonder tonight, maybe the Holy Ghost has been showing you some areas that you have been disconnected. I think it'd be beautiful if we made our way to this altar tonight. Whether you come and kneel or you stand, it's about being connected with Him. 